You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pruitt. Hello, Michael. Andre, is that you? It is Andre? me. Andre? Yes, yes. I mean, what's going on? Are you, like, w- waking up from some weird delirium? No, no, I just... It's, it's uh, you know, the last two or three podcasts, I've uh, I've been in front of you. I've had to look at your ugly mug, and now it's just... Your sweet, dulcet tones are coming through my speakers. I'm still sorry about the airplane lines. Um, I, I think I'm going to be apologizing to you for that for a bit. But, I mean... Oh, oh, you'll be apologizing longer than a bit. That was terrible. How you could even submit that to somebody? I don't know. I I, I maintain, once again, that someone opened a wine from Kentucky for another, another podcast. That um, was one wine. One wine, and then something else took over from that... You just served crap after crap after crap. It was it was like if I had eaten at Taco Bell that morning and couldn't stop going to the bathroom. So we are joined today by Eric Fisher, uh, the general manager of Monty Creek uh, out in BC. And he's going to tell us a little bit more about specifically where they're situated because I don't believe it is an Okanagan winery. But uh, just to bring you up to speed, Eric, we had a recent episode of Two Guys Talking Wine where... I had been gifted a bunch of um, airplane bottles from Pacific Northwest Airlines and Air Canada from 1983, including some bottles from Mission Hill and Inniskillen that were pre-VQA. Um, if you were gifted bottles like that from 1983, would you have drank them or served them for to uh, one of your friends or colleagues? I think I'd have to, yeah. I think just the uh, curiosity in me would uh, would lead me that way. You know, it's funny you talk about airplane wines. I had uh, the pleasure of riding via rail for the first time in what seemed like forever, not too long ago, and enjoyed uh, a really nice Ontario Chardonnay. Really? From wow, where? Well, from where? Via rail for doing that. Well, from where? From where? Do you remember the winery? I think it was in Skillen, to be honest with you. Oh, Jumping. interesting. I well, think Inniskillen are, are pretty underrated for for Chardonnay. I'm, I'm a big fan of their Montague Vineyard. I don't. I, I have a feeling, Michael, that their latest couple Montagues are probably a little too wood forward for you. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, I, I I always like the Montague. I find that it does show a little bit of restraint. Um, but yeah, they've been all right. I've been I've been happy with them. Right on. But we're not here to talk about Ontario today. We have in front of us a. Um, a trio of bottles from Monte Creek. Uh, there is a Riesling, a Chardonnay, and a Cabernet Franc. Um, Which I am surprised at, first of all. What were you surprised about? I, I'm surprised at the wine selection. I was actually I surprised what, about the wine selection as well. When I when I opened the box, I, I don't know why I thought maybe more, more red. Uh, I have received some wines from Monte Creek in the past. Um, they made a, a great sparkling wine from Marquette which I thought was, you know, I was like, oh, I can't, maybe they'll let, let us try that. That would be great. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we've got, I, I, I hate to say this to Eric, but it's kind of a pedestrian um, selection. <laughs> I haven't tried them yet, but a pedestrian selection of grape varieties. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say pedestrian. I think, I think these guys are, are what you would expect from the front line of a cool climate wine growing region. I mean, these are right on par with what, you well, would we expect grow. to do well from from Ontario, but um, I guess first off, Eric, thanks for joining the program. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys, for having me. And hopefully, we can curb your opinion on those wines after we uh, 
but liquid to lips. Right so on. so why, why the why these three wines? First of all, I'd like I'd like to know your your selection choice reasoning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, in the Thompson Valley, uh, we have a little bit. We have a fantastic growing season, but it's a little bit shorter. Um, so we might you might liken our our grape selection to more of uh, a Burgundian style. So you mentioned the sparkling, which which we do really well. Chardonnay and Riesling are two varieties, two noble grape varieties that. Um, we produce really well in the Thompson Valley. Um, Cab Franc is actually from our Similkameen Valley, um, but it is, uh, again, more of a, uh, has a little bit more finesse, lower alcohol, uh, more fruit forward, uh, more of a, like a Loire style Cab Franc. I don't ask short questions. It annoys Michael. I'm sure it annoys the guests. So let me frame it this way. We don't. Hold on. Andre, I got a better idea. Why don't you think of the question and I will just, you know, Talk to Eric until you have formulated your full question, and then you can let it go. Well, I need to frame the question with uh, with a statement first. So uh, okay. uh, you've just cut into the time that I could have spent just getting to the question. You're just dragging things out longer than it needs to. Um, no, this, this question is going to be long. One heard. of the big problems we have in Ontario is we don't have access to a lot of BC wines down here. And most of the wines that we do have access to are from fairly large producers. Um, we see regularly Burrowing Owl... Colmena is now regularly on the market, um, Mission Hill. And I think I think for Ontarians, there's a little bit of ignorance to the different growing regions in BC. Uh, I know that uh, our friend Christine Campbell of Girls Go Grape uh, mm-hmm. tried to give us a bit of a crash course on it, but that was a lot of information to take in in one episode of the podcast. How does the Thompson Valley differ from the Okanagan? Yeah, I'd say um, a little bit shorter growing season, um, quite often a bit uh, a bit hotter during the the, uh, the prime of the growing season, but a bit colder in the winter as well, which, um, which obviously um, means that we have to be a little bit more selective, which the varieties that we we grow, that we plant and, and grow um, to try and uh, avoid winter injury. Uh, when and if possible, um, one of the unique, one of the the many unique attributes that we have though in the Thompson Valley that people might find interesting is um, without the uh, Lake Okanagan, which is quite moderating. It's part of what keeps the Okanagan Valley a bit warmer in the winter and a little bit cooler in the summer. Is that we get these phenomenal diurnal temperature changes where we're quite often the hottest part in the province during the day, um, but these very desert-like conditions in the evening. It's, it's common for us to have 20, 25 degree shift in temperature, and it helps us preserve a lot of real vibrant, uh, racy acidity in the wines. And I think you'll, you'll appreciate that in the, the Riesling when we get to trying it. Well, we, we can oh. dive right into the Riesling if, if, um, if we want to. Like, full disclosure, I opened the Riesling already. I, I've already <laughs> taken a few sips out of it. I didn't, I didn't know which one Eric would want us to start with, so I just... Uh... I mean, I just, I, waiting, I just, I just I assumed. My cue. I just assumed. I just assumed. Um, well, Chardonnay goes before Riesling usually. Ah, not, not, not in my house. In your house, Chardonnay goes before everything. In my house, Chardonnay does go before everything. I, I like to save it for dessert. Yeah, this this is our uh, our 2021. Um, we actually haven't even released it yet, so I'm giving you a bit of a preview here. Um, the other two wines are coming up. One is actually just released at the LCBO, and that's the Chardonnay released this month, and the Cab Franc's coming up in the spring. So that's part of why those were in the uh, in the package. But this 
2021 Ancient Waters Riesling um, I picked because the last time we produced one, it achieved the uh, white wine of the year in Canada. And um, we feel like we've got a phenomenal site um, to produce this wine. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still evolving and the aromatics are still developing, but it's, it's quite an interesting wine. I'm, I'm, I, I think that it's, it's probably market perception. And, and once again, like, this is why I asked you to talk about Thompson versus Okanagan is I've tasted a lot of Riesling from BC where I just find the acids struggle to keep the wines in great balance. So that's why I'm about to say what I'm about to say, which is that I'm surprised at how well balanced this Riesling is. Like there is really great acidity on it. Well, thanks very much. Our, uh, I mean, we we definitely benefit from uh, having, uh, in my opinion, one of the the brightest uh, winemakers in the business, and that's Galen Barnhart, and he's been producing our wines um, since the uh, 2015 vintage. Um, I know that he, uh, in particular, likes this site. Um, we have some uh, very calcareous soils. We have uh, um, some limestone, lots of dolmenite in the soil, so we get a real nice miner- minerality to to the wine. Um, he produced this wine, uh, all native or wild ferment, if you will. Um, this one went about five and a half months. It was over 150 days in ferment, um, which I think also, uh, helped develop a lot of unique character in the wine. Um, low alcohol, um, we, you know, produce to keep, we prefer to keep alcohol as low as we can. We're not, this one's 12%. We're not afraid to do 11 or 11 and a half percent. Um, very vibrant, um, um, acidity. Um, we aged this wine about 75% of it. I think it was aged about nine months in uh, stainless steel, but aged Sir Lee and another 25% of this batch went, uh, in concrete for about six months, Sir Lee, um, and then finished in stainless. But, uh, yeah, you're one of the first to get to try it. Hmm. I'm waiting for Michael to say something. I, I'm actually, the, the other question I have is, um, how much residual sugar is, is in it? Uh, if 8.7, if I remember correctly, um, between eight and a half and nine. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. TA, I think is just, just over nine. Um, yeah. So I, Andre, I, I, I'm more of a purist when it comes to, comes to Riesling. Okay. I think you know that. So I, I really like the acidity in this wine. Uh, uh, and I really like that, uh, that nice, almost um crab apple lemon zest kind of kind of note in here as well yeah i think crab apple's a, a really great description there's some nice like floral floral notes that are hanging over it that yeah, the you floor, don't the floral is mostly on the on the nez yes that you don't not you and you don't often find that in ontario and uh, you know there's some nice nice minerality in here uh we're where the wine kind of loses me a little bit um is is probably as as Eric mentioned that there was some wild ferment, and that sewer Lee has given it uh, a little more, well, for lack of a better term, a, a funky quality that I don't associate with Riesling. Um, like it's good, uh, it's just not not my Riesling. How about that? I, I said I'm more of a purist. No sure. wild ferment. I'm not sure. Agreed with you on the, the uh, I'm get not, it off the lees, that kind of thing. I'm not sure. I agree with you on there being a, a funky, a funkiness to this. Like, like there's definitely, you know, some like an er- herbaceousness to it. If anything, like not like 
herb garden herbs and not like underwrite herbs, but like it's it's got like field flower. It's got like a little bit of like fresh cut hay to it, but those aren't like the primary notes to it. Like it's just it's adding a little bit of com- complexity to it. Well, I, I like the um, I love the nose. Really love the nose. Uh, so it draws me in. But there's 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 a little something on that finish that uh, that draws me away from it. I I I think I've been saying I've been saying often off the microphone. I don't think I've said it on the podcast often enough though. Is the the trend in Ontario to these bone dry rieslings is where I'm getting lost in Ontario. Like I'm just I'm not a fan of it. I find that. For the most part, the wineries that are making bone dry rieslings in Ontario, you end up with this like citrus bomb without a lot of depth. Where the people who are leaving a little bit of residual sugar, places like Featherstone, Vineland, Ridgepoint, to name a few, you get that cacophony of um, of stone fruit mated with the the citrus and the acid. So I'm actually surprised that the residual sugar is as low as it is on this because of how vibrant the stone fruit notes are. The stone fruit and the um, and the apple notes are in this wine, as opposed to being pure citrus for a wine that's sub ten grams per liter. So, yeah, not- I think I think you'll find that those will continue to develop and enhance as well, and and it will truly be a brilliant wine. I mean, the surlees just to add some texture and complexity. Often with this wine, um, we'll have uh, and this one was picked a little bit early in twenty twenty one. We are combating some some smoky skies and whatnot, so we are being wary of. Um, uh, picking selection, but um, often um, we'll leave this wine a little bit longer, and we we develop some, believe it or not, desirable botrytis on this site because the South Thompson River, where this vineyard is situated, um, uh, helps to develop these really interesting fog banks that come down the river in the in late into the fall and and uh, make for some sort of optimal um, botrytis conditions. So often we'll make this wine. Um, um, purposely under those conditions um, to, to add intrigue and uh, and quality, in our opinion. What were the vintage conditions like in um, in twenty twenty one? Was it a good a good growing year or a challenging year? It was a challenging year for sure. Yeah, I mean, this year has been been phenomenal for all intents and purposes. Um, we had a, a late, cooler, wetter spring, um, but um, you know, gave us good conditions through. Um, through the uh, you know the flowering fruit set period and then just a pinnacle of uh, um, climactic conditions all summer long like July and August and the first half of September. I mean I don't think you could have drawn it up any better. Well, I, I, I'd like to stop you there, Eric, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll warn you why. Um, last year, Ontario was was probably in in August. We were looking absolutely stunning. And then we had Brian Schmidt on the podcast who said it's going to be a great year and everything turned to crap. So yeah. maybe you yeah. want to cross your fingers, knock on some wood, uh, beat yourself about the head with a two by four just, yeah. just to, you know, pay the gods back uh, a little bit for what you just said. Yeah. I mean, we uh, definitely appreciate that. We, uh, I mean, we're, we are uh, well on our way on our sparkling program and soon to pick some aromatic whites. Um, but September's generally always the kind of make or break year of any vintage. Um, so far it's been good, but we've definitely seen the, um, you know, the, the conditions are, are changing for sure. I mean, we're low 20 highs and we're down to eight, nine, 10 degrees right now overnight. Um, it's supposed to warm up a little bit more overnight in the next couple of days, but, uh, 2021, um, was, uh, was a really dry, hot year. I mean, I heard terms that 
rolled out in the media that um, were all of a sudden common household terms that I'd never heard before, like heat dome and atmospheric river. And I mean, anytime you have three states of emergency in a year, you know that you're going to have uh, some challenges in the vineyard. But I was really proud of, of the winemaking team. Uh, innovation is, is definitely one of our core values at Monte Creek. And the team was extremely innovative in, in processing fruit, um, whether it was, you know, gentle pressings or, or getting wines off skins quickly just different techniques to sort of mitigate any sort of um, potential for, for smoke taint. Well, Andre, I've moved on to the Chardonnay. I've also moved on to the Chardonnay. And um, I have a feeling you're going to want to bathe in this one. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to go, go that far, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, I know you and I, we talk a lot about uh, the challenges we face in market placement in, on, in Ontario that, you know, we're we're still stuck comparing our region to other regions. And I'm, I mean, I feel the same way when tasting BC wines. But the thing I find fascinating about wines from BC in general is they don't seem to quite lean full into an old world style of winemaking. They don't quite lean right into new world styles of winemaking. But this Chardonnay definitely feels new world to me. Like the, um, the spicy oak notes are, are quite apparent in it. But the um, the phenolic ripeness of the fruit is rising up to the challenge. This isn't um, if you if you don't like oak in your Chardonnay, this is not going to be your Chardonnay, and this is the one that's out at the LCBO. But if you do enjoy those those really present wood notes, but some balance to it, you will enjoy this. And the price the price is great. It's twenty two bucks at the LCBO. Well, Andre, I'll I'll disagree with you on that. I um, I don't know what glass you're using. I'm using a but burgundy glass. I just used a straight white wine glass because I wanted to put the Riesling and the Chardonnay in, in kind of the same glass here. Still don't know why and, you do that because um, that's not how people are going to drink it at home. Well, true <laughs> enough, but I like I like trying different glasses. You in your glass gets a pronounced woody note. Yep. I, I In my glass, I'm getting a pronounced um, um, fruitiness. There is some vanilla. But I think there's some stone fruit, some apple. I find it well balanced. Uh, I don't find anything aggressive here. Uh, I don't think you're. I don't think you're dis- disagreeing with disagreeing with me though. But it's just like if we were if we were talking about um, let, let's just say a, a Chardonnay from Ontario from let's say Flat Rock, you would find the oak notes a little bit a little bit more subtle where the oak is, is less subtle. And it's not saying that there's not fruit. I mean, the other thing that's killer about the wine too, is 12.9% alcohol. So it's not, it's not yeah, that, a knocking you on your ass. And also like the fact that it's not warming up the back of your throat is also helping I, this I go think, down. I think I'm happier with the Chardonnay than you are. That's what I'm thinking. Huh? I don't, I don't even know what to do with that information. I mean, I'm really enjoying Like if this showed up at my house, like hell yeah, I'm going to drink the crap out of it. it, it I it, like it, Andre, I'm going to tell you a secret. It did show up at your house. I mean, if someone <laughs> if someone brought it to my house for dinner, if I was throwing a dinner party, I mean, somebody somebody did bring it to your house for dinner. It was called the postman. Okay, fine. Okay, that's okay. Okay, fine. Okay, I got you there. Um, I also like like when I talk about New World as well. I'm getting a bit of cream corn on the nose, which is something I really no, enjoy. It's what like, don't don't get that either. Weird. Go get a burgundy glass. And I don't want a burgundy glass. I like the way it is in this glass. I'm gonna stick with it, Andre. I'm gonna tell you. Go get a white wine glass. I, I am going to get a white wine. I'm a lot glass. happier with it. I am going. Well, I'm I'm pretty happy with it right now. It's just I just want the listeners to know 
that if you pick up a bottle of Monte Creek Living Land Series Chardonnay 2020, it's going to it's feel a white wine glass. It's going to feel more like California, Chile, no. Australia, or New Zealand than it no, will. No, I, I, I like disagree Burgundy with you on that. Or disagree Ontario. With you on that. Okay, well, I disagree. I would go more New Zealand than I would California. E- either way, it's it's got new world sensibilities, not old world old world sensibilities. I would give that the new world, but you st- California and New Zealand make way different Chardonnay because one's a, a one's a warm region, one's a cool region. Depends on where this in California more, you're getting your more Chardonnay. New Zealand than it does than it does California. All right, let's say Sonoma. Let's say Sonoma. Uh, a Sonoma. Let's go Monterey. Let's go further north. Let's let's go Sonoma. Okay, let's go Sonoma or Monterey Chardonnay. Will you give me that? I'll give you Monterey. I won't give you Sonoma. Okay, fine. <laughs> Eric, what can you tell us about your your Chardonnay now that you've had to well, put up with that? Yeah, I, I, I enjoy I enjoy listening to uh, to you two banter. I hope you're not mixing the two wines together because uh, then we'd be really confused. But um, oh no, I'm going to do that later. That is, yeah. I'm going to make a house wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate that you mentioned the alcohol. I mean, that's something that we definitely strive for, and that you mentioned the phenolic ripeness. I think. Uh, in addition to being extremely bright, um, Galen also has a tremendous palate um, and is able to pick for flavor with phenolic ripeness. So um, this wine, you know, we generally uh, we generally try and essentially let wines make themselves and not have too much of a heavy imprint from the winemaker. This wine, however, um, it does get uh, it does get quite a bit of uh, of a different flavor, and that is, um, you know, we practice some batonnage with this wine, so a lot of that textural. Uh, mouthfeel um, that that you're referring to um, is going to be achieved through some of that batonnage. Very, very little through mallow. Um, we really want to preserve that fresh crispness, if you will. Um, this as well was a wild ferment for about 60 days. Um, was also aged surly. Um, there was a new and one-year-old French oak um, for part of the batch, and the rest was done in concrete. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think texturally, um, I really like this wine. Um, it is it is still to me more of an elegant um, style Chardonnay. Um, I think it it hits all the cues with uh, texture and mouthfeel, but still retains some nice, fresh, vibrant acidity that um, I think is uh, is um, cleanses your palate perfectly. The um, the acidity in this is is a hundred percent like a, a real advantage to this because the thing is with um, you know, with Chardonnay, where you're getting a lot of those wood notes, it can be a challenge to to cook with them, like to find a great meal to go with them. Like it's the sort of thing where you know, I'm sure if we pulled up tasting notes for a lot of the the Okanagan Chardonnays, for example, it'll be a lot of like creamy pasta, creamy this, creamy that, butter this, butter that. Where this, it has like nice vibrant acidity that it will be easier with food. It'll be easier with lighter grilled things it'll be easier with fish it'll be easier with chicken you know i don't i don't see myself really enjoying this with a, a big steak but no. i mean the the great acidity to this does make it quite food friendly for a chardonnay with with those new world sensibilities i i'm a fan not as much I, as michael I'm a, though apparently. i'm a big fan of this and at 22 dollars, i think that's a, a, a great uh, a great price is it andre is it 22 dollars even or is it 21.95 uh it is uh 22.95 Twenty-two ninety-five. Yeah, still a good so deal. I, I think this is a, a really delicious Chardonnay, and uh, I don't say that that very often on this podcast. Do you, have, do you have a score for the? Do you have a score? I know. I know we didn't score the the reason we don't usually give away scores on here, but I, I think for most of the listeners who read us, I think that's how we would we would frame it. And you and I will do that. Do you have a Do you have a score that you're giving this? 
Well, if we were uh, if we were doing the thumbs up, thumbs down, this is a this is a really solid thumbs up. Score wise, I gave it a four plus. Right on. I, I'm a, I'm a solid four on this. I'm not I'm not quite up to the uh, up to the plus, but I mean that's a, that's good from both of us. So yeah, this is great. Yeah, I think I think this is uh, Eric. I'm I'm really liking that Chardonnay, and I, I I don't know. Maybe it is the glass. Maybe uh maybe Andre obviously obviously we are both proponents of of glassware. And uh, Andre, you're getting a differing experience out of this wine than than I am. Obviously, we're both enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but I I think mine's a little bit. Uh, uh, yours is probably a little more open. Mine's a little bit uh, tighter, and I think that's why I'm getting more fruit characteristics. And you're and you're drawing out a little more of of the uh, the oak and the the complexity that oak brings to it. Well, there we go. I appreciate the plug about the LCBO, and yeah, we were stoked when this wine won uh, gold at the All Canadian Wine Championships and the National Wine Line Awards this year. So, I think there's good value there for the price point for sure. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, I, I, the, these are the sort of wines that Michael and I love finding. Is is in that twenty to twenty five dollar price range? Because I mean, I think we can all afford that for like a Friday night, Saturday night bottle. Well, you know what? It's even a Thursday night. I don't know about a Monday, but that's it. That could be a Thursday night bottle. What's today? Friday, so we're close. We are close. Yeah, we're we're right there for it. We're that that one. I'm telling that bottle's getting finished tonight. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't. I'm. I don't know if I'm drinking it or washing my feet, but uh, both will be very happy. Well, I guess it's time to move to the uh, move to the third wine. So yeah, I'm just I'm I'm giving a sniff of the now I'm now I'm in a Bordeaux glass, uh, Andre, for this one. I didn't throw it back into the the white wine glass. And I'm and I'm sticking with the Burgundy glass just because I only wanted to bring one glass up to the uh, one glass up to the studio. So you tried the Riesling out of a Burgundy glass? I did, and it was great. Wow, wow, you're really you're killing Riesling there, but good for you. Why? I clearly didn't kill the Riesling. You and I like well, I liked it more than you. So maybe maybe you were drinking it out of the wrong glass, Michael. Wow, I'm drinking it out of a Riesling glass, Andre. Well, and I was drinking the Chardonnay out of a Chardonnay glass, Michael. And I was drinking the Chardonnay out of a Riesling glass, so how about that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the Cabernet Franc. You're drinking it out of a Bordeaux glass. Uh, I have, a, I do have a Bordeaux glass. I'm drinking it out of a Burgundy glass. We're looking at 12.8% alcohol. Um, Eric, you said this is coming through the LCBO soon, or yeah, uh, April. We have a, sort of a Bordeaux style blend actually in January, and then in uh, April uh, at Vintages is uh, the 2020 Living Land Cab Franc, the one we're about to taste. The nose on this is really um, like plush. Like it, it smells like. I'm getting a I'm getting an herbal quality to that nose. Yeah, but it's harnessed, right? Like it's I went to the Loire Valley. Michael, you and I have both been to the Loire Valley this year. Um I think the savory edge to the Cab Franc here is appropriate to the variety, but I think it's it's definitely under control here. It's certainly not you know, it's not bell pepper that like only bell no, pepper there's, that we're there's, it's not bell pepper. It's more um, you know, herbaceous um, in, in the lines of uh, some kind of um, um, not grass, but uh, you know, some herb de Provence, let's say, um, not as pungent. Obviously, no lavender, uh, but I'm getting also uh, uh, some tobacco notes, uh, some smoky notes, and some savory notes. And um, now I'm, I, I'm 
I guess it's it's time to taste it. And I think it I think it pretty much follows uh, what that nose wants you to to believe it's going to be onto the palate. I'm actually surprised at how firm the tannin is in this. Because like to me the the nose is is quite elegant and and fruit forward and I'm not getting like I don't know, it's just like it's it's so like the the nose smells velvety. I know like when we talk about velvet we just talk about texture. But I don't know, this is the moment I put it in my mouth. I'll be honest. I'm not getting like a ton of fruit. Um, but what I am getting of, of that herbaceous quality, I'm enjoying. That's like it's weird. not it's, I'm I'm getting I'm getting a ton of fruit on this. Like it's um it's definitely like an herb garden and and cherries like walking hand in hand. It's 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 certainly not like out of out of whack. Like I mean, this is a solid cap franc. I, I I um yeah, I, I, de- I definitely agree with the the characteristics you're describing. Would be, would you be surprised if I told you it was 0.25 grams of residual sugar? Nope, not at all. This is like extremely nope. bone dry. <laughs> but I mean, there's a good purity of fruit there. I mean, there's no you know nothing's enhanced with with sweetness at all whatsoever right like there's just you know it's just a, a true wine is and only 12.8 percent alcohol i mean is I there is it, there is there a trend in um is there a trend in the thompson valley to have some residual sugar for wineries that maybe have a challenge ripening a variety like cab franc because you talked about the the shorter growing season and i know i, I think it's, it's it's been known to happen in ontario that leaving some residual sugar to compensate for uh, lack of phenolic ripeness has been known to happen. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Michael. Sorry, I missed that. I was writing some notes on that cab frog. Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, it's. I hear a Andre talking, and I just cut him out. I totally. I, I don't think anybody um, maybe intentionally practices it, but as you said, um, you know, there are producers here that are trying to grow blockbusters when it comes to uh, even Cab Franc as well. And, you know, you're starting to get up into 14, 14.5% alcohol um, um, wines as well. And I think um, some of those uh, producers will leave a little bit of residual sugar. But when you're not getting that bricks, you're not getting that ripeness, I think, to your point, yeah, I mean, I've, I have drinking some um, with a little more residual sugar than I would typically prefer to have with, our, uh, with a Cab Franc. But, yeah, I was really happy with... Um, with the fruit and the, the savory characteristics um, that you were describing and, and love the 12.8%. I mean, I, I prefer a little bit more elegant wine, a wine with a little bit more finesse that, that still has lots of intrigue and, um, and uh, purity of fruit. Man, I actually really, so- really enjoy that you, that you lean into the, into the alcohol. Cause like, I know it, it's something when you, when you kind of go on your wine journey and you talk to certain winemakers, like talking about bricks is one of the things where it's, as a, as a newer wine lover, you can really kind of understand, oh, like, higher higher bricks means the fruit's more ripe, which generally means tastier, but also means higher alcohol. I mean, then you really start to learn about what makes wines great. And I think in Ontario, we're lucky to have Prince Edward County, where you'll occasionally get um, Pinot and Chardonnay that are 11, 11.5% that are, are perfectly perfectly ripe. So I don't, it's just like, it's it's cool to hear, like, the choices being made at Monte Creek, Um well, actually, maybe that—that that is the, the question you haven't really, really covered. You've talked about how proud you are of the fact that these are low alcohol and balanced wines, but viticulturally speaking, like, what's the big philosophy in the vineyard? How do you decide when it 
when it is time to pick when you clearly have the option to let the fruit hang longer and get those extra bricks. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, you know, we have a bioanalyzer. We have, you know, some really state-of-the-art equipment, and um, our winemaking team is is in the vineyard, um, essentially um, running samples on a daily basis when we know we're getting close. Ultimately, our winemaker, uh, Galen Barnhart, will pick for flavor um, um, and wine style. I mean, again, as we have the phenolic ripeness and the flavor profiles there. He's not afraid to to pick at, at a lower bricks if, um, if, if it makes sense. And Andre, to answer your question, because you know I'm a little bit a little bit behind on on the on the questions now. Yeah, Michael. But, Michael uh, was making Michael was making notes. So, so I'm. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree that uh, some winemakers use RS as a, as a crutch. I also I also think they use uh, oak as a crutch. Um, nothing. Um, let's let's put it this way, uh, Andre. During our Merlot tasting. Um, uh, where we tried the old Merlot from 10 and from 12. Uh, I think 10 being, you know, a really good year in Ontario and a 12 being a better year than the 10 even. Uh, I think people used uh, oak heavily because they figured they could versus the 10 where the oak seemed a little bit more drawn back. Um, and it's amazing how much winemakers use oak as a crutch because they feel that if, the consumer can taste something, and I just I'm just going on on a limb here because you know I'm I'm going with kind of a Chardonnay kind of uh, uh, analogy here. The reason that, that that Chardonnay became popular was because people could pick out. Uh, now I'm doing an Andre here. I'm just going with that long winded kind of answer or question, but um, you know the reason that Chardonnay became popular at some points because people could taste something. They could taste butter. They could taste oak. And I think there are some winemakers out there who do the same thing. They, you know, if, if, if it's not going to be a great vintage, they don't think they've made a great wine, just put in some RS, get a little bit of sugar in there. That'll, that'll pump up some kind of flavor. Or they put it in oak and people will go, oh, I get the oakiness. And oakiness, they assume, is a, a good red wine when they've just masked everything. Okay, cool. I mean that's it though. I think I think it's just like it's an issue that there's some people who own wineries, and this is uh, and Eric. I don't know if you want to jump in on this conversation because I certainly don't want you to necessarily name anyone. But it is a, a problem in cool climate growing regions. Is I think you have a lot of winery owners who will occasionally, you know, try to fight against the climate that prefer drinking warm climate wines and will push to bricks as opposed to. Working to a style, like like you described, uh, like you described Eric with um, having your your viticultural team and your winemakers tasting and making the decisions that way. Where you know, I think anyone can take grapes and get the chem- the chemistry from them and be like, okay, we're not going to pick till we hit twenty five bricks. And I mean, in Ontario, you know, we've all heard the rumors like like Stratus. Stratus makes delicious wines, but they're they're also the butt of the joke that you know some wineries will harvest their iced wine before Stratus Stratus harvests their red wines. <laughs> So I don't I don't know if you want to comment on on like just what the conditions are in uh, in Thompson Valley or Okanagan in terms of people fighting against the climate, but I, I know you mentioned that your personal preference is lower alcohol, more finesse, and 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 correct to uh, I guess a more food friendly, easy drinking style. Yeah, I mean you know we prefer like you know we just built a, a brand new gravity flow um, winemaking uh, facility. In fact, this is going to be our first harvest in it, and 
you know, it's especially to enhance, you know, varieties like Pinot Noir and Gamay that we feel really um, are the strength of our, our, our red portfolio. But I mean, we prefer to make elegant kind of fruit driven wines. Um, we like to showcase that refreshing acidity, but we do still honor the vintage. I mean, we still definitely um, are trying to make the best wine possible in that given year. So as much as we have, um, a, a house style or a preferred um, um, uh, method of, of, of winemaking almost, if you will. Um, you know, we're still definitely, um, you know, paying very close attention to the, to the vintage. Um, yeah. I, I mean, personally for, if, if it makes any difference at all, I know myself um, as well. And Andre, I think I'm just a couple years older than you, but I prefer not to, uh, not to wrestle with my, my wine so much anymore. I mean, I don't want to sleep sitting up anymore after just <laughs> drinking massive, you know, reds um, in the evening. So, I mean, I prefer a little bit more elegant wine um, personally. And, and I think, you know, it could just be me and, and my age and the people I uh, generally associate with, but I feel like it's a bit more of a trend nowadays. Well, I mean, it's one thing I, I, I've talked about on the podcast is having been to Abruzzo recently as well is like, I, I understand, I understand the wines, but also I'm almost 40 years old. I'm not super stoked to fill my wine cellar with wines that need 20, 25 years before they're ready to drink. Cause I'm not building a cellar for when I'm 65. I'm happy to build a cellar to buy wines that I'm holding for five, six, seven years because that's, you know, that's an investment in a future dinner party. But like, you know, you're of the age, Andre, where you should be building something for when you're 65. (laughs) No, but that's what, but that's what like 57 year old me will be doing. Right. Is hopefully finding these wines that don't need 25 years. And I mean, what happens if 57 year old, you doesn't have the money to buy uh, wines that are, are, are are ageable till you're 65. Okay. But but Michael, you, you've demonstrated, you've demonstrated exactly like that, that you don't need money to build a decent collection. So, I mean, that's why I'm not worried about that. Uh, you know, as much as I love the fact that I'm in a position right now to be able to afford some choice bottles, if I'm 57 and I can only afford to buy Trius Red or Flat Rock Chardonnay, I'll still be in an okay place. All right. There's I my just hope I get invited to some of these dinner parties you're talking about. Next time you're in town, anytime, I run an open door policy. I think a lot <laughs> of the people who've listened to this podcast know that as well. <laughs> Good. So, um, I, 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 Michael, where do you want to take the conversation? We've talked about the Franc, we've talked about the Chardonnay, we've talked about the Riesling, we've talked about um, Thompson Valley. Oh, I know, I know where we could go that we didn't touch on. I was surprised about the variety of wines that you sent us because I remember the last package we had had um, a red hybrid based wine, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a Marquette, was it not? Yeah, so we make uh, we grow Marquette. Um, it goes into our our sparkling rosé and our rosé program, and um, we think that um, apart from being a little bit darker in color, which maybe is a little off trend with some consumers right now, make just absolutely delicious rosé wines. Like, I mean, that sparkling rosé is something that I just I can constantly reach for because it's just down. It is delicious. it is a beautiful wine. That that yeah. Marquette sparkling is you know a one. Yeah, and I know there's producers in uh, Ontario and Quebec, I believe, that that because um, Marquette is obviously a red grape um, that do blend the wines, uh, the Marquette grape into red wines. We just, I mean, just brilliantly pronounced like strawberry and watermelon, just bright, luscious fruit that, um, in you know, it, it does um, have a little bit higher acidity when um, 
uh, when ripe, and we find that you know that works well with a sparkling style wine. And, and were um, you the first uh, in in BC to do a sparkling with that? I don't know anyone else in BC um, off the top of my head growing it. There may very well be. It is it is now a VQA grape in in BC. Um, but um, yeah, I mean. So I remember the first year trying it, which was, I think, two years ago. I don't know how long you've been making it. Uh, and yeah, so we've sparkling uh, 20, yeah, it's I think three, three or four years now. We've made the sparkling rosé and then a table wine rosé. We've done a, a couple years so, beyond that. Yeah. So I, tr- I tried it um, uh, last year for the first time and then again this year uh, or the year before. I'm not sure. But anyway. I remember uh, getting a few bottles from you, and um, uh, I, I brought over some of the winemakers who were uh, growing Marquette and pouring it for them. And 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 they didn't, you know, they were, they tasted it and they, whoa, this is really good. What is it? And I said Marquette, and a lot of them, uh, if not all of them, said never even thought of making it into sparkling. Yeah, I mean it's. You know, we have this phenomenal site, this glacial lacustre and silt and all kinds of great growing conditions um, in and around the vineyard. And uh, so, I mean, obviously, we can easily ripen it as uh, and, and the climactic conditions allow us to easily ripen it, you know, as a, as a red grape if we if we wanted to. And it was only through the team's, you know, innovation and trials that, that we discovered both the rosé and sparkling rosé. And my goodness, am I glad we did. I mean, as a red grape, you know, it's a bit high in acid, lacks tannin structure. But as a rosé and a sparkling rosé, like, wow, it's uh, something else. Well, well thank you for, for doing that because, uh, you know, <laughs> you introduced, I think, a whole new uh, wine variety style to a lot of people. Yeah, kudos to our, our winemaking team. They were uh, they definitely uh, championed that, and, uh, and I'm super, uh, super privileged to uh, be able to taste that on a regular basis. I'm, well, really, Andre, I'm really enjoying this Cab Franc still. Got it. <laughs> I'm going to go enjoy the Chardonnay when this is all over, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, uh, Michael, you're about to. I think you're about to take us away. Well, Andre, um, I, I want to thank Eric for, for joining us uh, uh, today. Well, you're talking uh, to him like he's not in the room. He's right there. You can say thank no, you. Thank was... you, Eric. Thank you for giving us the time. We really appreciate you. Talking. That was a hoot. So... Well, I knew he was there. I just was—I was trying to be a little more, you know, decorum with the with the uh, Queen's uh, funeral coming up. I thought I would have a little decorum on the. Uh, Since when have you ever had decorum about anything? No, but I mean, you know, with, the, all, the with only... that you have to show a little more decorum these days. We're we're in the age of kings. The only time people call you sir is preceded with "you're making a scene." Please leave the restaurant, sir. Um, um, Eric, thank you very much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, these wines were uh, were were really good, uh, and uh, it's always great to try your stuff. I'm glad you finally made it into the LCBO. Uh, he's Andre Prue from One Andre uh, Wine Review or something like that. Ca. He's Michael Pincus of the Grape Guy and like a million other things because he doesn't know how to streamline his social media. But I'm sure you, you can know, find. Do you him. know what Andre? There's there's like ten or twelve years difference between us. You do know that. <laughs> and, and so and so when I started dealing with social media, it was like right at the cusp. So you're looking th- these days. Everything is amalgamated into one name. 
you know, people were like, oh, use your name, use your own name, use the other name, blah, blah, blah. Now everybody streamlines. Well, I'm too late to streamline. So it's already there. All right. Take us away. Eric, thank you. And as always, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.